today, we're going to be uh, dealing with a very interesting topic. The question that I had uh, for today, um, for those of you who might be new to the church, one of the things we're doing this year is a series called What's on Your Mind? And people have submitted questions. And so I've been answering those questions throughout the year. We did some of them last week, some of the smaller questions at the Q&A service. And uh, so basically, the ones that can actually be turned into sermons... That's what I do with them. And so the question for today was, is the fivefold ministry still valid today? Uh, and this is a far more uh, intricate question than you might think. Um, there is a huge amount of controversy between more traditional, more Reformation theology kind of churches and more charismatic churches about whether or not this exists, whether or not the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, teachers, and evangelists, whether or not they're still for today. There's a whole group of people, um, John MacArthur being one, and just so you know, I, I have a lot of great respect for John MacArthur, but he will tell you that apostles and prophets don't exist, but evangelists, pastors, and teachers do. That they're no longer for today. They went out after the original apostles died off, the, the 12 that were with Jesus. The Unfortunate part is there's a whole lot of people throughout the Bible that were called apostles that never walked with Jesus. So there's a, there's a problem that we got to deal with here. But the question is, what do we do with this thing today? It's in the Bible. And it's in the Bible in more than one place. The titles are. So what do we do? Do we, is this, is this some structure that we're supposed to commit ourselves to? How are we supposed to approach this in a biblically balanced way? Now, because there are so many differing views, what I'm going to give you is how I read the scripture. And it might not be exactly what you're thinking, uh, because my answer to the question is yes and no. There. I hope that was very detailed and succinct for you. You're now dismissed. Uh, okay, anyway. So here's the idea. So the concept for the five-fold ministry, and, and I want you to understand this, the five-fold ministry is not a biblical term. The five-fold ministry is predominantly a charismatic term. It was something, a name that we gave to a list in the Bible, but it is not in the Bible. That term is not in the Bible anywhere, okay? So I want you to, I want you to just understand where we're coming from. So the concept of the five-fold ministry comes from one passage, two verses, in a, church, in a, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and it reads like this. It says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Pay very close attention to the next verse. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So, like I said, this is the only place in Scripture where this particular list is going to be found. And one of the issues that you're going to find, especially in the charismatic church, by the way, you're in a charismatic church right now. I just want to point that out. We're talking to ourselves, okay? One of the mistakes you're going to find that we are really, really good at is that when, um, and this is a mistake I think a lot of churches make denominationally, and it's hard to get out of it. The mistake is when we find a list in the Bible, we turn that list into a box and shove everyone in it. That it's not just a list anymore. Now it has got a fence around it and you're not allowed to go outside of it. That is, that is verboten. Forbidden in German. Anyway, you're not allowed to do that because this is a list, okay? And if it's listed in the Bible, then you're not allowed to do it. Now, if you believe that, you need to stop eating shellfish because they're an abomination to the Lord. Um, and I love me some shrimp cocktail. I'm just saying, it's just the way that's going to work. I repent every time I eat it. The problem is that when you read the totality of Scripture, what we find is, our, is these lists, almost none of them are actually meant to be approached in that way. They're almost always examples of what can, not the limit of what can. Okay? You think about things like the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. There's more than that are listed. You know that one of the fruits of the spirit, one of the gifts of the spirit is helps. Helps. Helping someone in need is a gift of the spirit. Yeah. So is kindness, friendship. There's a ton of things. It's, it, when you start to understand what the gifts of the spirits are for, what the fruits of the spirits do, you begin to realize that Paul's not trying to be comprehensive. 
He's trying to give us an example of what life in Christ is like. Okay? So the danger, like I said, is when we turn our lists into a box. Now, here's the common problem. And when I talk about the problem with the fivefold ministry, I'm going to stick exclusively to my group, the charismatic church. Okay? So I'm going to show you a couple of things today. I'm going to show you a couple of video clips, and I'm going to help you understand, hopefully, that yes, these positions exist. Yes, they are valid today. And yes, they are abused like crazy. Like crazy. Predominantly, unfortunately, in our persuasion, in our fellowship and group. But that does not mean that everyone who may occupy these positions is false. Okay? I just want to show you how this can get misused. It's important to see that. So among those who prescribe to the list idea, it tends to be more than just a list. It tends to be a hierarchy of rank in the church, you know? So you got pastors and teachers. They serve the local, the local churches. They're, they're the, they're the new guys. They're just good. You know, the good, that's great. That's wonderful. You're doing such a good job. Then you have the evangelists. These are nuts. They're the crazy people who walk up to you in the street and go, do you want to die and go to hell or do you want to meet Jesus right now? And then there's apostles and prophets. Did everyone hear the angels when I said that? Hallelujah. When they walk into the room, Jesus comes with them. The idea is that these apostles and prophets bring the word of the Lord and the will of the Lord to the real church. Those groups that don't want to submit themselves to the apostles and the prophets, they they may have faith, but they don't have real faith. Now, probably the most prominent group in the charismatic persuasion that, that will follow this process is called the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. Now, most of you aren't very familiar with this term because they don't like to use it. It was a term coined by their founder, C. Peter Wagner. But they don't like it because it has a negative, it's, it's become a negative, a negative term. But it is the, ter- the name given to the organization by the guy who founded it. Now, some of the people within this organization, you may know these names. Bill Johnson, Todd, uh, uh, Todd White, Paula White, Kat Kerr, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Todd Bentley, Rod Parsley, and the list goes on. Now, these groups believe fully that the apostles and the prophets in their midst have authority over the global church. And I'm not kidding. Here are some of the quotes from their own literature. This is from Dr. Uh, Dr. Bill Hammond. He's an apostolic elder for the New Apostolic Reformation. And he writes, you are not in divine order unless you are either an apostle or under one. Means you are not walking in right standing with God unless you have submitted yourself to the authority of the apostles, the modern-day apostles. And he's talking specifically about people like C. Peter Wagner, Bill Johnson, Todd Bentley. Interestingly enough, C. Peter Wagner and Bill Johnson, Che An, and a bunch of other self-appointed apostles declared Todd Bentley an apostle about two months before he divorced his wife, left his wife and his kids, and hooked up with his ministry assistant, they're now married, still touring the world, considered apostles. What? And no one will renounce his apostleship because touch not the Lord's anointed. <laughs> Maybe he wasn't the Lord's anointed. Just saying. It's just a possibility. Now, this one comes from C. Peter Wagner. He says, contrary to what some people might think, however, it is not the responsibility of all believers nor even church pastors to hear directly what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Uh, churches, Apostles are the ones who have been given primary responsibility for hearing what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So for any of those, you guys might be watching online, any who might want to be a pastor, anyone who might want to be a leader in the church, you are not equipped to hear from God unless it has been approved by the apostles. 
You want to know why people reject these teachings and reject these positions? This is why. The Reformed Church rejects these out of hand, predominantly because of the way the Charismatic Church handles them. It doesn't mean these positions don't exist. It doesn't mean they're not real. But you have to understand how we wield a sword will determine how people trust that sword. How we handle God's word is going to determine how people will trust us to appropriately handle God's word. And for someone who stands up and says, you have to listen to everything that I say because I'm apostle so-and-so, there's a problem. There's an immediately a problem. But now the good news is, maybe you only want to be a prophet, but you're not sure how. The cool part is, these same people who refer to themselves as apostles, they have prophets on their staff, and almost all of them have created online universities where you can go pay four or $5,000 for a class and become a certified prophet. Isn't that amazing? It's about as useful as being ordained into the Klingon church as a minister. Really? Now, what this does is what what it has done. It has created, unfortunately, a man-made hierarchy within the structure of the church. And what people have done is they've attached themselves to organizations who are not led simply by a pastor, but by an apostle. Because you may have a pastor in your church, but do you have an apostle and a prophet? You see, those are the, those are the churches you really want to go to. That's where the real stuff happens. Now, unfortunately, this only serves to prove a point that the world has been making against the church for decades, that many in the Christian church are obsessed with this idea, and we are so biblically ignorant that we can't discern the truth. Here's something that I've found in, uh, within, within the church, and, and I'm talking everywhere that I've ever been, I've, I've found this. People love verses. They love verses. They don't love scripture. You understand what I just said? They love verses. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Woo! God has a plan for my life. Touch not the Lord's anointed. We love verses. We hate scripture. And here's the reason why. When you attach yourself to the popular meaning or, or, or uh, um, assigned meaning of a verse and you don't read the scripture surrounding it, that will usually blow that ideology out of the water, which is about what I'm going to do here for you here in a second. It completely negates the popular view of this section of scripture. We don't read the whole thing. We want the soundbite. Because we think that's where the truth is. That's not where it is. It's a conversation between God and his, creator, and his creation. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Now check this out. If we dig just a little bit deeper, if all I have to do is read a few verses around that section to gain the real meaning. Now check this out. I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to read you a whole chapter. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I hope that's the whole chapter because I just said it was. It might not be, but I think it is. Either way, it's a lot. It's 16 whole verses, which may be more than some of you have read all week. Who just went, how does he know? (laughs) Thou shalt refer to me as tiny person. Anyway says, therefore, I, a prisoner, this is Paul talking, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to, listen, to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep, for your, uh, keep yourselves united in the, in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Now listen, for there is one body... And one spirit, just as you have been called 
to one glorious hope in the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us, each one of us, a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scripture says, when he ascended to the heights, he led the crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. Some people think that means to hell. That's not what it means. It means he came from heaven to here. He came here to bring things to us, to to equip us for the mission ahead. And the same who descended uh, is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now listen to this next part. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standards of Christ. That we will no longer be immature like little children. We won't be tossed and blown uh, about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced by people uh, when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to teach you how to discern for yourself. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes his whole body fit together perfectly. Listen, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full in love. When you look at the entire context of this passage, you can see that the five gifts given to the church are not ranks. They're not a degree of special authority. It is not determined that thou hast a closer walk with thee. That's not what it's for. It's a part of the puzzle. They are pieces that are supposed to fit into the puzzle of the body of Christ so that the whole picture can be complete. Anyone ever put a puzzle together and you're missing a piece? Isn't it annoying? Now imagine you get the puzzle. You're buying it from the store, still in the plastic wrap, and it says, missing several pieces. Enjoy. (laughs) Who's buying that one? Some of you will buy it just to see. Is it really... I can find them. <laughs> they are places of service. They're not levels above. If you actually think of what they're supposed to do, they're levels below. They are meant to come under the body of the church to hold it up, not reign over the church with authority. They come underneath to raise up the body of the church. Now, let me show you something else. One of the really neat things about Paul's writings is that he wrote most of the New Testament. And there's a lot of times where he wrote about very similar concepts in different books, in different places. And when you can find a place where Paul talks about a similar thing in another section, it brings clarity to what that may actually mean. Remember, the letters that Paul wrote to the churches are not, they were not letters of instruction. They were letters of correction. They were there almost always answering a letter that he had already received, but we don't have the letter that he received. All we have is his answer to their letter. So we have to be careful when we're looking at this. But now check this out. Paul wrote about a very similar process to the church in Corinth. And sometimes we don't put these two together. But we should. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 7 reads like this. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities to the Spirit, the Spirit gives us. Doesn't that sound familiar? Right? I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, because they used to worship pagan gods and temples, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit will curse Jesus and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. That sounds very similar to what he just said in Ephesians. These are different kinds of service. 
but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. Notice it's not us wielding something that we own. It's God using us, putting his power through us. It's not ours. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Most people know that the rest of that section of scripture talks about the spiritual gifts. Tongues and prophecy and discernment and we go through that. And most of us will stop at verses 10 or 11 after the spiritual gifts are done. Why? Because we love the part about the, the power of the spirit. Because we love verses. But we forget to read the bottom where Paul explains in more detail what we're supposed to do with these things. We love the stuff. We want the power. You know, we won't be like a Christian Jedi. Woo-hoo. But that's not what it is, is it? There's more to this. How we use what God gives us is just as important as what God gives us. Check this out. Starting in verse 12, it reads like this. Tell me if this does not sound just like Ephesians. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. If there, uh, if there is an, uh, uh, and if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I'm not an eye, uh, would that make it any less part of the body? If the body were, if the whole body were an eye, which would be very weird, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? If your whole body, uh, if your, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts, excuse me, that we regard as honorable are, uh, are those that we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care can be given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony. It's talking about humility, by the way. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the part suffers. If you don't believe me, stub your toe in the middle of the night. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. If all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is part of it, here are some of the parts. Pay attention to this. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, our apostles. Second, our prophets. Third, our teachers. Here comes the list, right? No. Then those who do miracles. What? You can't just change a list. Those who do miracles. Those who have the gift of healing and those who can help others. Those who have the gift of leadership. Those who speak in unknown languages. We're all apostles? No. We're all prophets? No. We're all teachers? No. By the way, those are the answers to those questions. Do all have the power to do miracles? No. Do all have the gift of healing? No. Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? No. Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And he goes on to talk about how the application of love through the gifts that God gives his church is the better way. Everything is couched in the same way. Service to one another. Not ranking. It's not a hierarchical structure. Being an apostle does not make you above anybody. In fact, it should make you below because the honorable parts are supposed to protect the less honorable parts. You understand what I'm saying? It's a bottom-up structure, not a top-down structure. God is very adamant about that. Those who he puts in positions of teaching and leadership are to serve, not 
Lord. There is only one Lord, but there's a whole body. But all those body parts have to function in their appropriate way for the body to do what it's supposed to do. Now, you can limp along. There's plenty of people in our world who lose an arm, lose a leg, lose both legs, whatever. They're quadriplegics, paraplegics. You can actually function. You can find a way to function with a lot of parts of your body not working correctly. But let me ask you something. Would you rather have them working correctly? Yes. Why? Because it gives you the fullness of your potential. Imagine if everyone in the body of Christ did whatever they were supposed to be doing instead of making an excuse as to why they can't. We can all find time to watch football, to watch NASCAR, to go golfing, to do the things that we would rather be doing, but it's so hard to find the time to do what God is asking us to do. And a lot of times, I've heard this from a lot of people, I do more at church, but the church doesn't do much. Now here I laugh. Because there's always something going on. But here's the reason why the church doesn't do much. It's because the church body is expecting this small group of leaders to do everything. Which is not what they're supposed to do. The leadership is supposed to equip you to do the work. To be ministers. To be lights in the world. I will never be able to reach the people that you reach. I don't work with you. I don't go to school with you. I don't hang out with your family. But you do. And that's the job of the church. That's the job of the church leadership is to equip the body for the work of the ministry. That doesn't mean I don't do any myself. But imagine if the church was comprised like an army, set up like an army, where the soldiers go to battle for the souls of the lost. That's what's supposed to happen, but we don't. We think we're supposed to bring people to church You should bring people to church, but you should also be the church for them. It's important. Someone led you to the Lord. You should be willing to do the same for others. Even if it means that they may not like you anymore because you say something like, you probably don't want to do that because I think it's going to be dishonoring to God. You prude. Okay. I might be a prude, but I'm in heaven. I can live with that. If you look at both of those sections, Ephesians 4.11 and 1 Corinthians 12.28 says, now these are lights, uh, uh, these are the gifts Christ gave the church. And Corinthians says, here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. Two lists, they're different. You want to know what that tells us? The list was not meant to be turned into a box. It was not the absolute standard. There are more things that are there. Paul may not mention them all in one place, but in his, the totality of his writing, he mentions all of them. And that's why we're supposed to read all of Scripture, not just our devotional, not just the verse of the day that pops up on our phone or your watch or whatever. We're supposed to be reading the book. I know they're big and they're heavy, but this is what we're supposed to be doing. And the reason why we're supposed to be doing this is because the purpose of the leadership, the purpose of the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is to equip the body so that we may stand on our own and discern the word for ourselves. But what's happening is these people who refer to themselves as apostles and prophets are not teaching us how to discern the word. They're telling, teaching you what to believe. And a lot of times they're just bragging about themselves and they're setting themselves up as like a global authority. Let me show you a couple of examples of what this might look like. This is a guy who claims to be a prophet of God, brings the word of God. And by the way, every now and then God comes to him for advice. Friends have frank and open conversations with each other. I've done that with the Lord. I've had the Lord say, uh, Jesse, I've had God come tell me, he said, this is what I'm going to do. I've had the Lord listen. Say, what do you think about this? God has asked me for my opinion. I said, well, Lord, since you asked, uh, maybe I'm doing it. He said, no, we can talk frankly. What do you think? I said, well, I don't think you ought to do that. He said, why you don't think I ought to do that? I said, well, you know, I, I know you know people more than I do, but you know, Lord, if you just let me, let me do a little bit more work on this individual, I think we can get them to you. He says, okay, go ahead. Do what you have to do. Romans 11.34, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough 
to give him advice. Can you imagine how disappointing it would be to an eternal, timeless, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-understanding God to come to any mortal person and be like, you know, I just don't have a good answer to this question. Can you help me out? I wouldn't want to give my life to that God. Was he going to come to me for, you know, grammar advice? No. He's definitely not coming to help me for math. He's not going to ask me to reach something on a shelf for him. God does not need our input. And the idea that a minister of the gospel would have the audacity to claim in front of his congregation that God came to him for advice on how to reach the lost. That is insane. This is the same person who just shortly after this particular uh, 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 message started asking his congregation to give him $67 million so he could buy a new private jet. There's a disconnect here somewhere. But the good thing is, you need to know that there's, he was declared a prophet and an apostle of God by another person who declares himself a prophet and an apostle of God. You may recognize him. COVID-19! COVID-19! I blow the wind of God on you. On you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. These are people recognized throughout the world as the leaders in the American charismatic movement. You go around the world, you talk to them about the charismatic church, they talk about these guys. And I collect these clips. I got a lot of them. There is no shortage of people doing dumb things, claiming to be the leaders because they are God's anointed. What's worse is that, you see, people don't get to the place of authority where they are. And make no mistake, they have monstrous authority around the world. Monstrous. They don't get there without Christians supporting them, sending them money, volunteering in their, uh, in, in their efforts, going to their conferences, buying their books. How is it that people who do such blatantly ungodly, scripturally mangling acts continue to be supported to this level. Kenneth Copeland is worth $300 million. That's his personal net worth. He owns seven private planes. He's got, I think, a 110-acre ranch on a lake in Texas. And people send him millions a year. During the year of COVID, he got on TV and told his flock that God told him that his budget needed to be over $300 million that year. Not his personal net worth, the ministry's budget, $300 million that year. And that if people didn't dig deep, then God wouldn't be able to move. People sent him the money. How is it that these people can be in such places of power and authority and teach the way they teach? I know people who have followed these guys most of their life, and they will admit, when you actually sit down and talk to them, they will admit, yes, they teach a lot of false doctrine. Yes, they twist and mangle scripture. Yes, I, this is, what they're doing is wrong. Why do you have all of their books in your house? And you just went to one of their conferences. Why aren't you 
warning people about these people. And then it's the same answer I get all the time. Touch not the Lord's anointed. I got news for you. The Lord's anointed doesn't twist scripture. They don't mangle the word of God. They don't misrepresent things. They don't lord over the church with some level of authority. They come up underneath the church and they serve in humility. These are not the Lord's anointed. They're wolves in sheep clothing. They're the ones that scripture is talking about. The ear-tickling preachers that will lead you away from God and to hell in the last days. And the church is flocking to these people. Why? Because we love verses. And we hate the scriptures. Because we think the apostles and prophets are a God-ordained hierarchy and leadership of the church. And they're not. They never were. You notice when Paul would introduce himself, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It wasn't, I, the apostle Paul, 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 Paul. (laughs) Paul actually didn't even like being called an apostle because he didn't feel worthy of the title, yet he lived the responsibility. That's what a real apostle would do. Now, I do believe that apostles exist today. Now, the funny thing is, John MacArthur would tell you that apostles don't exist. I would call him an apostle. I would. Because of the way he leads the church with the truth of God as its foundation. He's not interested in you following him. He's interested in you understanding the word of God. That's an apostle. That's what they're supposed to do. Whether he wants to believe it or not, I don't have a problem with that. But the funny thing is, these guys that we call apostles... Look at this. Let's go back to this part in Ephesians. It says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the in the Lord, measuring up to the full um, uh, and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown away about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. The entire responsibility of the apostles and the prophets proves that they're not. Yet we follow him anyway. We've got to come to a place where we're more discerning than that. Because these ministry positions exist. And they exist for your benefit. Not for you to come underneath them like they're some sort of God-appointed authority, but to allow them to come underneath you to propel you into the future that God has for you. That's what they're for. So what do we do now? What do we do from here? Now, as someone who's actually in one of those roles, I'm a pastor, it's hard to answer the question without sounding self-serving. It, it really is, and I'll, I'll, and I'll admit that. But my best answer is this. As a Christian, what do you do from here? The people who you are listening to, whoever you're allowing to feed yourself throughout the week, Come here, that's great. Who, what, are you, what are you listening to the rest of the week? Where are you getting the rest of your input? Not only just word, but music as well. Because those words and those songs, they'll, they'll speak life into you. They'll speak into you and you think that that's actually true. And a lot of times, they may not be. There's a lot of songs out there with incredibly bad theology in them. We like them because they get a nice rhythm. Boy, I can really move to that. I mean, it's a total lie, but I really like the way it feels. <laughs> no. Might as well just start worshiping the spirit in the sky and call it a day, you know? Are the people that you are allowing to speak into your life, are you being inspired or are you being fed? Those are two very different things. You can go someplace and be inspired or you can go someplace and be fed and hopefully being fed will inspire you to do more. But if you're just looking for a moment. You know, I just really want to experience some joy in God. I don't want any of that truth. I don't want anyone to tell me that I've got to do something different in my life. I just want you to tell me that I'm wonderful, that God accepts me the way that I am, and that I'm going to go to heaven, and then I'm just going to go home and live my life like I've never even met Jesus. That's, that's really the kind of church I'm looking for. Are you being taught to read and understand the word for yourself, or are you being told what to believe? This is important. See, when you think someone is special, 
and they're above everybody else and they've been sent to you by God and they tell you this is what God wants you to do, when you hold them in that place that has never belonged to them, it belongs only to Christ, that becomes an authority in your life and you begin to believe whatever they're telling you. That you have to do this in order to be acceptable in God's eyes. Denominations do it all the time. Probably the easiest one for most people to understand is the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has a very clear standing um, that you are not saved by grace through faith alone. You are saved by grace through faith and your membership in the church. And if you're not a member of that church, then you don't get to go to heaven. That's their view. Not making it up. You can look it up for yourself. I believe it was the Council of Trent where they declared that. And it's never been changed. You've got to guard your mind and be more discerning about who you allow to speak truth into your life. Let me give you a couple thoughts. When you find yourself listening to someone who introduces himself as apostle or prophet so-and-so, it might be a good idea to not listen to that person. Okay? When they tell you that if you want God's blessing, you have to sow a financial seed into their ministry. You want the power of God into your life? Sow a seed into the ministry of Dewey, Scroom and Howe. And God will rain a blessing down on you ten, a hundredfold. Some of you may remember that reference a long time ago. I believe it was the Three Stooges. Uh-huh. When they're asking you to dig deep and sacrifice for the gospel mission to sow that financial seed, and they leave the meeting to get into their $65 million private jet to fly back to their $100 million home, you may want to question whether or not you should be sowing into that ministry. Because in my personal opinion, a man of God would never allow themselves to own a $100 million home. What a slap in the face to the process of the gospel. It doesn't mean they can't have nice things. It doesn't mean they can't have a nice home. But a $100 million home is an embarrassment to Christianity. An embarrassment to Christianity. And when you have two or three of them that are eight, nine, ten, twelve million dollars a piece, that's an embarrassment to Christianity when you're asking your people to tithe into that. To be, that money is to be used for God's word and God's work, not your comfort. When your trials and troubles are the result of your hidden sin, anyone ever been there? You know why you're not healed? Because you've got unrepentant sin in your life. Oh, Maybe God just doesn't want to do it right now. You know, call me crazy, but I do believe it's up to him. When you have to prove that you're really saved by jumping through some spiritual hoop, you got to either speak in tongues or do miracles or live a prosperous life. I've had people tell me that if you've been a Christian more than five years and you're still poor, you're probably not saved. <laughs> Are you serious? Rule number one, don't drink before you preach. You say dumb things. It is so ridiculous, but we put these standards out. Anyone ever been to a church that tells you you're not saved unless you speak in tongues? Didn't I just read Paul saying, do all speak in tongues? No! So people who love parts of the Bible, but not the whole Bible, because it's inconvenient. When people tell you that you're only hearing the truth when you're listening to them, you know you're in a place you shouldn't be in. I've said this a hundred times, and I'll continue to say it. If you're only getting teaching from me, you are really starving yourself of some amazing things that are out there. There's people that are a whole lot better at this than I am, and you should be listening to them. And there's people that are really, really bad, and you shouldn't. And if you... Ever wonder whether or not you should be listening to someone? Let me know. Let me know. I'll walk you through it, and I'll help you understand why you should. I'll help you understand why you shouldn't, because it's true. Don't let these people become a voice of authority in your life just because they maintain a title. Just because they may make a couple of good points does not, does not mean that they should be an authority in your life. Matthew 7, 20, 21, 22 says that people will come to God on that day and say, didn't I not prophesy? Didn't I do, not do miracles? In your name. You notice Jesus never tells, says no to them. He just simply says, go away, you worker of iniquity. I, know, I don't even know who you are. 
And we forget there's more than one spirit that does miracles on this earth. Not every miracle that happens is from the Holy Spirit. If all the devil has to do is do something amazing in front of your eyes to get you to not follow Jesus, he'll do it. It needs to come from the Lord. The truth of the matter is the fivefold ministry is for today. But when we elevate people who should not be elevated, they have not put in the time, they have not been discipled, they have not proven that they are a person who understands and rightly divides the word of God, you get crazy people in the pulpit being supported by millions. It's my last little video clip. It's a little compilation of a couple of them that you might be, uh, might be aware of. So enjoy. I'm pointing out that the gospel is about, it's not the gospel of salvation, it's the gospel of the kingdom. We weren't supposed to go everywhere preaching salvation, which is good, but I mean, you know, salvation is onto something bigger. Salvation is the entrance into the... I can tell you he's in heaven. I've seen his mansion, and because Jesus also has a sense of humor, he built Patrick's mansion in a field of five-foot-tall shamrocks. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah. You so see him in heaven. He did. I did. I saw him in heaven, and uh, so he's got all these shamrocks that sing to him, and they worship <laughs> Jesus Christ because God has a sense of humor. And I'm thinking, God, why is not the power of God moving? He said, because you haven't kicked that woman in the face. And there's this older lady worshiping right in front of the platform. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. The gift of faith came on me. He said, kick her in the face. With your biker boot. I inched closer and I went like this. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. I could show you the seven seals from the New Testament. Seven times it says you're sealed. The sealed book is you. He's the word, the volume of the book. It is written of him. We express the word. We are the word made flesh again. We are the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. So you got the lead prophet of Bethel Church telling you that the gospel is not about salvation. The gospel is about the power to retake cities comes from something called the Seven Mountain Mandate, which is a very dangerous, it's called Kingdom Now Theology. It's very dangerous. They actually preach that the goal is not to get people saved. It's to bring them power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's their central message. The second person you saw there was Kat Kerr talking about St. Peter, or St. Patrick, and his five-foot-tall singing shamrocks around his mansion in heaven. I want a five-foot-tall singing shamrock. She constantly talks about Jesus taking her to heaven and showing her around. I'm not kidding. In one of her videos, please look this up for yourself because it is readily available on YouTube. She's speaking from the pulpit, talking about being in heaven. And when people pray for healing, Jesus showed her what happens. An angel goes to the room in heaven, not making this up, filled with spare body parts. And they get one, and they take it. That's how you get healed. No! Could you imagine that? I mean, do they have little legs up there, or are they all longer? I mean, we're talking heaven, right? Everything's supposed to be perfect. When you watch the video, people are going, oh, amazing. Amazing has a lot of definitions, and it probably does fit. It's amazing. She tours the world speaking. Todd Bentley, you saw that. He's done that a number of different times. The guy's been caught faking more things than you can imagine. And the last one, that was just a snippet from Brian Simmons. The, uh, the sole author of the Passion Translation, he openly says that Jesus took him to heaven, to the library of heaven, so that he could check out a couple of books. I'm not making this up. This is his testimony. And that he has been charged to rewrite the Bible the way it was meant to be. 
There are some sections of the Passion Translation that when theologians do a word count on the translation, there is 50% more words in the Passion Translation than in the original text. He's just making it up. And people are clapping and sending him millions of dollars for doing it. Thank God Bible-based teachers have been actually looking at this translation and going, I can't support this. This is insanity. But other churches, like the NAR, Bethel, hold it up like it was divinely inspired. Why? Because he's a prophet of God and touch not the Lord's anointed. See how this works? It's frightening to see what happens when the church does not embrace biblical truth, biblical standards, but we embrace a hierarchy of titles that don't actually exist. The positions are real. There are prophets among us. There are apostles among us, just like there's evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But if you ever find one that elevates themselves above everybody else, you already know to stay away from that person. You're looking for the ones that put themselves under everybody else because they know it's not about them. It's about him. Make sense? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the simple fact that you bring us, that you bring us these people, the people that you have chosen for whatever reason to occupy these roles for the benefit of the body. And help us, Lord, to respect that authority, to respect that choice of yours, but also give us discernment to know who we should not allow to be a voice of authority in our lives. Give us the clarity to be able to spot the wolves from the sheep. And give us the strength to follow you, not them, no matter the cost. 